The lion and the lamb song is so encouraging where it says, you know, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And, you know, we're reminded that we are a small group. There's a few of us. But the day is hastening. The day is coming quickly when we will see every knee bow and every tongue confess. And it will be a glorious day. And so let, let, let us again turn to the Lord in, in prayer um, and ask for his blessing upon this. Father, we, we enter your courts with praise, Lord, and thanksgiving. Father, you have blessed us. You have lavished grace upon us. You have given us exceedingly more than we can even ask or think. And Lord, as we sit here now, as I stand here now, Lord, all we can utter and say is, what shall we render to the Lord for all his benefits? Father, I pray in this hour that you would give me and my brothers and sisters, Lord, hearts to hear your word. Father, that from your word we would learn more of your love and more of your goodness and more of your grace. That, Father, as we know more of you, the fins of the world will grow strangely dim, Lord. That they would fade out and that your love would just eclipse every fear, every doubt. Lord, I pray that in this hour, doubt would be banished out. I pray that fear would be cast out by perfect love. Lord, I pray that hearts that are weary and battle-hardened, Lord, minds that are, are just under the assault of the enemy, Lord, that there would be relief and freedom in this hour, Lord. Lord, not because of anything I've put together, but simply because you love to bless and cherish your people. And so now, Father, we look to you. Send your spirit upon us that we may live for you and to you and through you and in you that all we do may be unto the glory of your name and the glory of your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you have your Bibles, and you should have them, let's go to Romans chapter five uh, and the message will be from verse eight. And so I will just read verse um, 8 to us. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want to read it again, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, it's a known fact, if we were to ask what book has had the most influence upon the world, it would be the Bible. You know, nothing like the Bible. It has transformed nations, it has molded kingdoms, it has a long history of impact and influence in the world. And if we were to ask the question, okay, what books within the book of the Bible has had most impact on the world, it would probably be the Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of John. And then after that, I would say that the second most book that has um, the biggest impact in the world would be this epistle of Romans written by Paul. There would be countless testimonies of Christians who would be able to stand up and say that this book of Romans had not only converted them, but had been a source of strength and peace in a time of trial. There would be countless Christians who could say from Romans chapter 3, I found that my sin was freely and fully forgiven by the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. Or in Romans 6, we learn that we have died to sin and that we are alive in Christ. Not only am I forgiven, but I'm a new man, a new creature. 
Or in Romans 8, we learn that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I'm sure if I were to ask you individually what impact the book of Romans has had to your faith, I'm sure everyone would have a testimony to say of how this book, this glorious book that God has given us, has encouraged us, has strengthened us, has been a, a help in a time of need. And as we look towards chapter 5, it really is the, the middle, the epicenter of the book. Paul, throughout chapters, uh, throughout chapters 1 to 3, builds up this argument that the whole world is condemned under sin, that there is none righteous, no, not one. And then from chapter 3, he moves on, showing to us, laboring to us with all his might, showing that we are freely forgiven by what Jesus Christ done. I cannot claim one work. I cannot speak one boast towards my salvation. It's only what Jesus has done. And now we get to chapter 5, and the first verse he opens up by saying this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so chapter 5 really builds off those first two verses. What Paul is doing here in chapter 5 from verse 1 down to verse 11 is setting up fortress walls to secure us in who we are in Christ. He reasons with us. If you look through the chapter, he uses words like therefore, since, if. He's basically saying to us, he's basically reasoning with us, saying, look at the love of God. Be assured of it. Be secure in it. If God has done this, then he will do this. And that's the way the apostle always teaches. He reasons with us. He gets the truth and applies it and causes us to think. And so that's how we must come to this text today. And nothing, nothing so gives assurance of God's unchanging love than this text that I just read. This really is the center of the book of Romans. This really is the whole of God's redemption. The eternal plan of God is found in this text. For while we were yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. There is no better news that you could hear this morning. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The whole work of redemption, the whole work from Genesis to Revelation, everything God planned out before the world was formed and fashioned is found in this, this one verse, these few words. It's incredible. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I'm sure if the Apostle Paul was here now, resurrected and we said to him apostle paul preach i'm sure he would grab this text here i'm sure this would be his theme the apostle could never get over the amazement of what it means that god loves sinners so much so that he would give his only son i'm sure if we were to ask the apostle paul why why stand the whip how many lashes he said why the bruising why the beating why the stoning why are you doing this Paul, he would whisper this text, for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That was his motivating text. He says it in 2 um, Corinthians chapter 5, for the love of God constrains me, motivates me. 
And this text must be the same to us. It must be our thought in the morning, our thought at night. As God said to the, the Israelites, we must wrap this around our, uh, we must wear it on our necklace, we must stamp it upon our doorpost before we go to sleep, when we rise up, let it be in our hearts. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And yet even as I was looking over this text, I found my heart to be, to be dull, to be slow to believe. I can hear this text, I can hear such a glorious truth and not be moved. And we can, we can do that. But let us not do that today. Let us hear this text and come towards this, this wonderful, this wonderful scripture and ask God to bless it to us. My desire from this, this passage is that we would be assured that we would be encouraged, that you would be encouraged, that you would be strengthened, that you would be helped, and that your weary soul would be refreshed, because that's what I need. I need to be strengthened. You know, think of if I was holding a jug of water, crystal clear water, and I was moaning that I was thirsty, you'd be like, what do you mean, just drink the water? And so much so, I think us as Christians, we complain a lot, but we have, so much, we have so much to drink on here. We have a fountain of life. We have a fountain, a never-ending stream of peace and joy that flows from the gospel. And we just need to drink it. We need to come to it, believing. That's the reason it doesn't benefit us, because we don't have the faith. We need to have the faith that grabs this text and believes it and applies it to the soul. You must make it personal. You must say, me, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. And so really, I do stand up here like, like, a, like a madman, to be honest, because I'm seeking to speak on, on, on the love of Christ, the assurance, the love of God. And it will take an eternity of eternities even to begin to understand a fraction of his love. And so me standing up here preaching on it is like, it's, it's, it's yeah, it, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. But I'm praying God will bless it. And so my first point from this, this text will be the nature of God's love, but God shows love. And so I thought I would have to say this because in the world we have so many conflicting views of what love is. If you go out into the world and try to find out what love is, it has been the study of poets and, and the great minds of, of history, and they've never really come to a, a unanimous understanding of what love is. But when we come to the scriptures, it's not so. God is clear and plain. He tells us what it is that God is love. God is love. Firstly, God's love is sovereign. His love is bound in his will. God does not love because of what he sees in the creature. God loves simply because he chooses to love. God doesn't love based on, upon performance. God loves because he simply says, I will love. How different that is to the world's view of love. But his love is also eternal. God is the eternal, everlasting God, and every attribute in God is eternal, and it's the same with his love. What God chooses to love, he loves unto the end. He does not falter or waver when things get hard. His love is eternal. It began in eternity, and therefore it cannot have an end. He loves with an eternal love, and it is unchangeable which is the obvious conclusion, his love is unchangeable. 
It does not change. It does not falter. It does not break. It does not crack under pressure. This so wonderfully comes out in Deuteronomy chapter 7 where, there is, where God's speaking to the Israelites and um, the Israelites were probably thinking, why God, why have you saved us? Why us? And in chapter, 7, in chapter 7 from verse 7, God says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all people, but it's because the Lord loves you. You as a Christian stand there and ask, God, why me? God says, because I chose. I love because I love. I loved because in eternity past, I saw you and said, I will fix my love upon you. That's why God loves you. That's why God loves you, and that is liberating. And so moving on from there, my really, that was like a sub-point that I just needed to get out. My really first point is that the love of God is an intervening love. It is a rescuing love. And we see that in the text, verse 8. But God shows his love. But God shows his love. In those two words, but God, you could really sum up the whole of biblical history. What is the history of scripture but God intervening into man's mess? Think back to the garden of Genesis. There man in his innocent, pure state, tempted by the devil, makes a mess of everything. Then God comes down and intervenes. The love of God intervenes. Think of the Israelites under the Egyptian burden, under the slavery, under the crackling of the whips and the beating and the rods. God says, I've heard and I've come down. Think beyond into the history of Israel. How many times did they rebel? How many times did they turn away from God? But God kept intervening. His love kept intervening. And what about you? How many times has God intervened in your life? How many times did you make a mess, an unfixable mess, and God's love intervened? And all you can do is stand and say, but God. In those two words is an ocean, a depth, a manner, a glory, but God. That is the history of redemption. Us sinning, God coming in. Us falling away, God rising us up. Us straying, God pulling us back. But God. I mean, those two words could sum up my conversion. I was there lost in my sin. Then, but God came in and done something. Changed me, showed me the gospel. And I'm sure every Christian here could testify to the same. But God shows his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Every other form of love is eclipsed and cast out by this intervening love of God. But it really isn't the pinnacle or the height of God's intervening love, God's rescuing love. If we want to know that, we must look to John 3.16 as we know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That really is the pinnacle, the height, that form, that glory, that that giving of himself, giving of his son, every other intervention, every other intervening act of God in history has nothing, nothing on that. 
God gave his son. Such was the love of the father. You could look back into eternity. And the father saw the world that he created, saw the people that he made, rebelling, sinning, turning away, turning from him. But such was his love that he said, I will give my son. Though these people neither love me nor want me, I will give my son. Though they will crucify him and spit on him and put on him a crown of thorns, I will still give my son. Though they will ignore the offer of grace and mercy, I will still give my son. Such was God's intervening love. And such was the love of the son that he came. Never think that the father forced his son out of heaven, like, you got to go, man, you got to go. And his son was like, no, <laughs> I really don't want to go down to them. He really came. He really, <laughs> in eternity past, he said, father, I will go. Who shall I save? Send me. I see the cross. I see the whip. I want to go. Such is my love. That's intervening love. That's the love of God. He left heaven with joy for you. Think of that. And what do we know about heaven? Nothing really. We only know that it's glory beyond thought or comprehension. Who left it for you? The intervening, the rescuing love of God. But God shows his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so does this not cause you to abound in hope? To think of this. Reason with me. If God gave himself, his, the, the, the delight of his soul, his only son for you, will he not give you the smaller things? If I gave you a million pounds, will I not give you five? Will God not give you everything you need to bring you to glory, blameless and without reproach? Come reason with me. Will God not supply the strength that you need for every battle? Will God not give you the strength that you need under every temptation? Will God not give you the joy that you long for? Those are small things. If he gave the son, he'll give everything else. He'll give everything else. The whole universe does not compare to the glory of the sun. If you were to put the son of God on one weight and the universe and all of its beauty, a thousand gardens of Edens, everything that creation has to offer on the other side of the scale, there would be no Christ is more infinitely so and he gave him. So be confident. Trust him. Do not throw away your confidence in the love of God for it has a great reward. I love that scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 verse 9 where it says that his eyes the eyes of God run to and fro seeking who he may strengthen seeking whose heart is blameless to him trust in the Lord and you have a blameless heart towards God by trusting him by believing him and he will strengthen you and so be encouraged by that but also we see in this text not only the rescuing love of God, the intervening love of God, but also the objects of his love, the persons. Who is God showing this love to? And what does it say? He says, while we were yet sinners. And now I know that this word is old-fashioned and people hate this word and they see it as 
degrading and you know, you're, you're hurting my self-esteem. But as Christians, we do need to know what we were and the world needs to know what it is in order that we may appreciate the love of Christ fully. If you had a headache and I gave you a paracetamol tablet, you wouldn't be like, thank you, Raya, I love you. You would just take it and be like, well, that's all right, I can get one at the shop. But if you were dying and you were going to die tonight and I brought out one pill that could save you and you took it and ate it and you survived, well, you would frame my picture, wouldn't you? You'd be like, you're my best friend. And it's the same, it's the same when we come to the gospel. We must understand how, how lost we were so that we appreciate what God has done. And it's a superficial view of sin, of what it means that we were sinners. It's a superficial view of that that makes us not appreciate the gospel as we should. And so not hurting our self-esteem, really when we understand this, it causes us to abound in joy. It causes us to abound in thankfulness. And so we can't really stay on this long because time wouldn't allow it, but what does it mean that we were sinners? What does it mean to be a sinner? What does that actually mean? Well, from this chapter 5, you have a, a, few, a few insights to what that is. Um, and I will just mention them. I won't, I won't go into them deeply. But firstly, in, um, in verse, in verse 6, it says, For while we were still weak. To be a sinner is to be weak. What does that mean? doesn't mean physically, but it means spiritually. It means we were weak. We could not provide our own salvation. We were weak. We, could, we did not have the strength. And you know this probably when you were before, before you were a believer. You tried to put your life right. You tried to obey the Ten Commandments. You tried to love thy neighbor as thyself. And what did you find? You were weak. We could not save ourselves. We were weak. Not only that, we were ungodly. We were ungodly. What does that mean? Well, it means we were without affection for God. We neither loved him. We neither sought for him. We neither desired him. We maybe wanted to use him, but we didn't love him. We were ungodly. We were, we were without God. And then it also says in verse, chapter, verse 10, for while we were enemies, to be a sinner is to be an enemy of God. What does that mean? It, does mean, it means that not only, see the, the common view is that there's like the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light, and then there's this neutral for okay people. And most people say to themselves, I'm in the neutral. I'm not in either, I'm neutral. If you go evangelizing, that is, that is the common view. I'm, I'm, I'm not either. Just leave me alone, type thing. No, it's either you're for Christ or against Christ. It's either you're in his kingdom or you're opposing his kingdom. It's either you're a friend of God or an enemy of God. That's what it says. That as enemies, we were actively opposing God. We were actively set against him like two enemies of war. We were battling and fighting against his purposes. And so God, the great God, the infinite God, was set against us as our enemy. And not only that, but going on down from verse 
um, from verse 10. Actually, up verse 9, the end of verse 9. It says that we were, well, I'll read it. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So we were weak, we were ungodly, we were an enemy. Not only that, but we were under his wrath. We were under, and, and, and that's the conclusion. If we're God's enemy, if we're living in our sin, then the inevitable outcome is the consequence of our sin, which is the wrath of God, the righteous, holy, loving retribution of God towards sinners, towards our rebellion. An eternal existence apart, separate from the joy, the grace, and the love of God. That is what we were. That is what we were. But while we were yet sinners, who were the persons that Christ loved? Who were the persons that God loved? God's love is so incredible that even while we were his enemies, he set his love upon us. Now that's, you can't really understand that. But such is the love of God. Such is the mercy. Such is the grace of God. And I don't know about you, but so much peace and joy and comfort spring up from this for me. You know, make it personal. When I think of myself, while I was fighting against God, while I was in the club, while I was partying, while I was stealing and lying, even then he loved me. While I was ignoring God and disobeying the gospel, while I was living for myself and I, while I was trying to be the God of my universe, even then he loved me. While I was rebelling against my parents, while I was rebelling against my teachers, while I was stuck in the prison cell, even then he loved me. And so come, reason with me. You want assurance of God's love? If God loved me then, if God loved you then, think of your worst. If God loved you then, will he not love you now? If God loved you while you were an enemy, will he not love you now while you're a friend? If God loved you while you were fighting against him, will he not love you now though you sin, you're repentant? You want him, you yearn for him. There is a seed in you that breathes and pants after Christ. Does God not love you now? Will God throw away his friends and bring close his enemies? Reason it out. That's what Paul's saying. If God loved us while we were yet sinners, he will love us now and nothing will change that. Nothing will separate. Nothing can hinder that. And so from that text, from that, there's an assurance. I mean... I've used this verse to give me assurance time in and time again. And I just think of that. If God loved me then, he loves me now. And he will love me to the end. And so every form of doubt of the love of God is really blasted away at such truth. Every doubt that he is against you and not for you is slain by this truth. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And my third point, 
you go on towards the end of the verse. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the demonstration of God's love. Christ dying. Here is the pinnacle, the rock of our insurance. Here is the spring of our hope, our peace and joy. Here it is. So intense and earnest was the love of Christ that he would die. That God would give his Christ to death, to die. This is the climax of love. What height, what depth, as it says in Ephesians. What breadth, what width. Who can know the love of God in Christ Jesus? That he would give him to die, to death. Here is an ocean's view. And all we can really do is just gaze out and look. We can only just look and wonder how, how he loves how he loves, that he would die. That he would actually die. The God of life, Christ, would die. In John, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 13, speaking of the, of the, of the demonstration of God's love, this is what Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Greater love, you can't find it. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, now listen to this. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. We know love by this. We're in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love. I love that. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, a sacrifice for our sins. In this is love. I love that. It's like, it's like John saying, every other form of love you've seen is not really love. He's like, until you see this love, you don't know what love is. In this is love. God has given you a family. God has given you maybe a wife, maybe a child, that's acts of God's love. God has given you food in your fridge. There's God's love. His common love, because we don't deserve it. We don't deserve that. And so it's love, it's grace. God has given you peace and joy, money, the things that you need to survive. There is God's love. But really, in this is love. Those things seem small, decimal points compared to this. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. God gave off himself. If you could think of love as, as, as the sacrifice of giving yourself, God gave everything he could. Everything he were to offer. He didn't give a universe. He didn't give Angel Gabriel or Angel Michael his best angel. He gave his son the worship of the angels. And what did he give him to? He didn't give him to a palace. He didn't give him to a crown. He didn't give, them, give him to a, a, an empire in the world. He gave him to a common life, a common walk, far off there in the land of dusty Galilee. And he gave him to rejection and death. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. For us.
God's love is so wonderfully seen in the death of Jesus Christ. You really can't begin to, to, to comprehend it. When you come to the week, think of the week of the passion. Think of the last seven days of Christ. Think of the last night that he went through. And there you see love's demonstration. Come with me to the garden. Go into the garden. There you see Christ, the one who was so, so comfortable, the one who controlled himself, the one who was so, he looked like he had it together all the time. There you see him on the floor, weeping, sweating drops of blood. This is love's demonstration. Come, see him in the courthouse, in the courtroom, being accused, standing there silent, not defending his cause, forsaken by his friends. This is love's demonstration. See him being whipped and scarred and beaten with spittle. See the crown of thorns go onto his head. There is love's demonstration. Then see him walking out of Jerusalem, carrying that cross, more marred than any man, unrecognizable, carrying his cross up the hill to Golgotha, Calvary's hill. See the nails going in. See him hanging on a cross. See the blood. It's a, it's a terrible sight, but there you see love's demonstration. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Who is he doing this for? He's doing this for me. He's doing this for you. If you can show me love close, then show me. Not even the love of a father, the love of a mother, the love of a wife, the love of a husband can even compare. They're just shadows of the love of Christ. Not even shadows. It's, it's nothing compared to his love for us that he would die in such a way. This is love's demonstration. And it's so wonderful in this text. It says, while we were yet sinners. What's it saying? It's saying as Christians, we are no longer that because of the work of, of, of the cross, of what, what Christ has done. On the cross, Jesus became an enemy. On the cross, Jesus was accounted as ungodly because of me, because of our sins. On the cross, Jesus bore the wrath. He drank that cup so that we could be free, so that we could see and know and experience the love of God. You know, in all of this, I try to think of an illustration, as you do, and I couldn't really think of a good one, but I was reminded of, um, oh, you know, the Remembrance Day, and so we're reminded of war, and war is a terrible thing, but also, you always get in stories of war, stories of serious acts of love and, her and heroism. You always get wonderful stories. And I was reminded of a story in World War II, not World War I, where um, there was, um, I don't know what death camp it was, but it was during the Holocaust. And there was a story of, um, you know, you, they would gather up um, Jewish people, whoever they deemed unfit to live. And they would bring them on the trains. And as they got off the trains, there would be a man there who would basically choose whether they lived or died and so he would simply point death work to death death work to death 
Um, if you went work to death, you might survive, but death, you would die. And that was normally the women, the children, the, the handicapped, people who simply couldn't work. And um, a family came off that, that train. Um, a man, or his wife and his, and his young child, his young son. And as they came up, he pointed the man, yeah, work to death, the woman and the child, go. Um, go to the gas chamber. Um, and the man basically reacted, crying out, no. No, please, don't send them, send me. Let them live. I will go to the gas chamber. Just let them live. Let them, let them, let them live, please. And his cry and his groans and his agony could be heard, and it, and it prevailed because he said, I don't even have long to live anyway. I'm, I'm ill, so just let me go die now and let, spare them. And so somewhere in that hard, cold heart of a man, whoever he was, he decided to let, to, to let, him, to let, him, to let him go die and let his wife and child live. And so we think of a story like that and we think, what a wonderful act, you know, what a wonderful, I mean, I would do that for my daughter. You know, as a father, as a mother, you know you would, you would die for your, your child. But really, this isn't, this is the problem. You can't really illustrate the love of God here in this text because though that is a wonderful act of sacrificial love, it's not what the text says to us. It's not what the Bible is saying to us here. The, to illustrate it closer, it would be more to say this that the man, the, the, um, the Nazi, was like, no, you're working to death, children and wife, ch child and wife, they're dying, send them. And then that was it. And then later on, the man, a week later, the man is there working, working, and then he sees the same Nazi who sent his child and wife to death walking past at gunpoint, and he heard the um, guard saying that he had been caught for treason and now he's going to the gas chamber. And then that Jewish man steps in and says, no, spare him, let me go. And so you hear, that, that's really illustrating what God done for us in Christ. You hear that and you're like, what? No, that's, that's terrible. But such was the love of God is that while we crucified Christ, we crucified him. He died for us. That really is the love of God. That he died while we were yet sinners. I'm reminded of that hymn where it says, See from his head, his hands and his feet, Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love or sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be a present far too small. Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my life, my all. And when I think of this, I just want to love him who died for me. I just want to love Christ. I want to live for him. I want everything I have to be his my energy, my time. I want to love him with my heart, my soul, and my mind. When you understand this, that commandment doesn't look burdensome. To obey him is not burdensome because you obey from a place of love. You obey from what Paul said, the love of Christ controls me. You obey out of joy and thankfulness when you understand this. If God has given us such an assurance of his love, and we should learn to love him. We should learn to serve him. We should learn to be his.
And this will motivate you to obedience. You want to be obedient? You want to be more Christ-like? You want to love your enemy more? You want to serve more? You want to do more for Christ? Think hard upon God's love for you. Think hard upon God's love for you in this, in the cross. Gaze hard upon it and the fire will slowly begin to burn in your heart. And you will offer yourself freely to him. And it's so wonderful that in his love, not only has he manifested it and shown us it and so wonderfully so, but as Christians, he's given us a new name. And, and you can't go into it, we can't go into it long, but if you look in the text, it says, while we were yet sinners. We're sinful, but we're no longer identified as sinners. He says, now we are justified. Now we are reconciled. Now we have life. Now we rejoice. His love has bestowed upon us a new name. If you are a Christian, you have a new name. No longer sinner, but reconciled, justified. And praise God, it's wonderful. And so that's what Christ has done for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so let me also say something. I've been speaking to Christians, but let me say something to those of us who, are, who do not know this love, who have not embraced this love, who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Reason with me. If Christ is the most glorious, wonderfulest person, and he gave himself so freely for you, how can you reject him? If God looked at you while you were an enemy, while you were fighting against him, but yet he still gave you his son, how can you reject such love? You would have to be insane. You would have to be a fool to reject Christ. Such was his love. You know, the greatest gift we can give anyone is our love. The greatest gift we can give someone is not our money, it's who we are, it's our love, it's to give of ourselves, to become vulnerable. And how often have you done that and been found empty? You've loved and in return been broken. You've loved the world, the trends, the money, the fashion, whatever it is, you've loved, you've given yourself to it and you've found that its promises are empty. Not so with Christ. To love Christ, he does not break your heart. He is not like a man who will forsake and leave you in your time of need. Christ is meek and gentle. He is mild. He will hold your love with preciousness. His hands will not squeeze it or break it. He will hold you. Such is his love. Christ will not break your heart. Jesus will not break your heart. The bruised reed he does not break. A bruised reed he does not break. And so if you care for your soul, then know today that you can come to know him. How do you come to know him? How do you come to know the love of Christ? Believe in the gospel. How do you believe? Trust. Trust this text. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says, believe and you will be saved. 
Believe today. Believe now in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You came in unsaved, you leave saved. You came destined to hell, you leave destined for everlasting glory. Such is the gospel. That if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ now, right now, believe in him, you will be saved. It's the promise from heaven. And so reject him no longer. If God has been calling you and you have felt a conviction in your heart, reject him no longer. Come today to him in faith and he will receive you. Do not say to yourself, I have to make myself better. I have to get everything into order. Christ did not come to save the righteous but sinners. He did not come to save those who are found but those who are lost. That's who he came to save. And so if you see yourself in that position, then now you are savable. Now you can be saved. And so come to Christ as you are, in faith, in repentance, and he will receive you and never cast you out. And you will know the love of Christ more and more and more, beginning now, going into eternity. Such will his love be in your life, the joy, the peace, will be yours in Christ. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth, Lord. Father, I thank you that you can use babes, Lord, to extend your truth and to preach your kingdom. And so, Father, I pray that those who heard would be encouraged that I myself would be encouraged in this, Lord. That while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Help us to know this, Lord. Help us to experience it. Help us to walk in the reality and the freedom that is offered here. So that we would live more unto you and for you. In Jesus' name, amen.